Welcome to Post Game with Paul Golden, a sports and faith podcast. I'm Tim Donnelly. Thanks for joining us. Listen in as today we converse with Dave Jouse, Senior Advisor of Player Development for the Washington Nationals. This baseball lifer has coached for over 34 years at a variety of levels in the United States, Canada, Venezuela, and the Dominican Republic, and has been bench coach and scout for several Major League Baseball teams. Dave details the three generations of his family in sports, including his dad, a legendary Chicago sports writer. You'll hear of Dave's special connection to Hall of Famer David Ortiz and the 2004 World Series champion Boston Red Sox. In addition, he describes the experience of throwing batting practice to Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets in last year's Home Run Derby. This faithful follower of Jesus will share how marriage struggles ultimately brought he and his wife to faith in Christ. Stay tuned to the very end to hear Dave explain why an event on December 6th of 2004 was even more meaningful than winning the World Series. Now, here's your host of the Post Game Podcast, Paul Golden. Hey, it's our pleasure to have uh, Dave Jouse. Uh, he's with the Washington Nationals in their front office. He's their uh, senior advisor of player development. He's had a long resume, and in my opinion, he's a baseball lifer. So it's great to have Dave Jouse on the show. So welcome, Dave. Welcome. There's two things that are really good. A lifer is really important. That means I got life. And then baseball in, in, in my life, and I've been blessed to be in it, and, uh, and my family's been blessed to be in it. So when you say baseball lifer, it's it, it brings smiles to my face. So how many years have you been in organized at pro ball? Well, pro ball started in 1987. Um, so 34 plus years. Um, and I've been coaching since 1980. I, I got into coaching really fast after my college days ended because of only one thing. It was lack of ability. And so <laughs> I went right into coaching. I got that stopwatch earlier than most people. So I, I, I was coaching one day after I finished my last game at, uh, at Amherst College, I was coaching baseball and coaching basketball also. Now, you were a two-sport athlete at Amherst, basketball and baseball. And I think, if I read it right, you're, you were teammates with uh, Dan Duquette, who is also a baseball lifer. Yes. There's a few more in there because Tom Bork, I was a, uh, a teammate with, and he still scouts and now for the Pirates, but he had scouted for a while with the uh, Brewers and the Orioles and the Cubs. and then. Um, Richie Thompson and John Cerruti. John Cerruti has passed now, but both Richie Thompson and John Cerruti were on that team, and both of them played, pitched in the big leagues. Um, and there was eight people that signed a contract my senior year, but Dan Duquette, Tom Bork, and myself weren't, and we're still in the game. Wow, well, that's a great team. That's a that's a loaded team. There, did you win any championships in college? We won. The the, the coach there, coach there for fifty years. Um, he's in the college baseball hall of fame. He, he's done a lot of things and he was, he's pushed a lot of people into the big leagues, um, in front office, not a whole lot playing or coaching, but a lot of guys in the front office, Dan Duquette was a GM, Neil Huntington has been a GM and Ben Charrington have been a GM and all three are from there. Um, and then there's, there must be 40 people in the game that are from Amherst over the last you know, 30 years 
um, in the front office and scouting or development and things like that. You've been a cow, a coach, a scout, a minor league field coordinator with multiple teams. Uh, the Mets, uh, two, two stints with the Mets, the Red Sox, Orioles, Pirates, Yankees, Dodgers, Phillies, Nationals. I, I'm probably missing some, but. No, Nationals and Yankees. One year with the Yankees, right? For your. I'm your a big friend. Yankee fan, so I'm happy to hear that. But before all that, you coached at the collegiate level at a place called Atlantic Christian back in the mid 80s. Tell us about that experience at a Christian college. Well, I was I, I was coaching before that. I, I coached both in Canada. I managed a team in, in, in professional baseball in Canada in the Cape League and at Westfield State College in Massachusetts. And I was I was coaching there. But at Westfield State, as the youngest head coach in the nation, it was a division three Mass, Massachusetts State College. I was getting paid $1,500 a year to be the head coach. And how old were you at the time? I was 24 years old, 23. I started mm. and I had players that were older than I was. And um, I had to find a job to be able to do my career. And so I was living in Boston and started a construction company with an ex-roommate of mine from, from Amherst College who had dropped out. And we started a construction company out of the back of his car. And I would commute 110 miles to each way to Westfield to run my practices and games and then drive back and start at 430 in the morning with him. And uh, and after doing that for three years, I thought, well, why don't I try to find a job that stays in my career? And, and Atlanta Christian allowed me to be a professor, start a sports management program for the college. I was an assistant AD, the head of intramurals built three fields um, and thought I was living high on the, on the horse. Cause I also, they dropped a, an old kitchen from a plantation and the kitchens used to be separate from the house so that the kitchen went on fire. The whole mansion wouldn't get burned up. So they, the people donated the kitchen. They dropped it outside a left field and I would live in this house. that looked like an old Mr. Ed house where they had the doors that uh. swung back. It was just one one big, huge room, little, little tiny bathroom. And I lived right there. And, and so they paid me a decent salary there and gave me the house. I thought, wow, I had it made. That's called paying your dues. It made me appreciate things a lot. And uh, I don't ever regret having those at all because it, it, it really made me cherish what I've been blessed with. From there, you went into the coaching ranks in a, in a professional baseball. In fact, you were the uh, Eastern League Coach of the Year at one point. I think that was the Harrisburg Senators. With the Montreal Expos as the main club, I was able to. The, and the person that hired me with Montreal was the manager was a manager in the big leagues for a while with the White Sox and the Mets. Jerry Manuel, strong Christian man, one of my mentors in my life, and he hired me to actually be the Gulf Coast League manager. In 1987, he hired me to be the Gulf Coast League manager in Bradenton for the Expos. And then I coached under Felipe and coached in the Florida State League and then coached in Harrisburg before um, going to the Orioles. Yeah, a lot of great connections of well-known baseball names. You, you said you coached in Canada, obviously in the U.S., but you also uh, spent some time in the Dominican Republic, uh, Lise, right, out of Santo Domingo? Yeah, I've managed both in, in Venezuela and and Dominican um, with teams Caracas in Venezuela, um, in the Dominican, Lice, um, and then also after that, Estrellas one year and also Escajito one year. Um, but uh, the two years in 
with Marseille in the 90s, we ended up winning the Caribbean Championship in 99. And that was uh, that was really a special team and, 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 and really enjoyable. I've been to the DR a few times on mission trips, but man, baseball is king on that island. It, and people ask me a lot of times, what is my favorite position? And I, or what is my favorite team? I don't have a favorite team, whatever team I'm with, um, because I, I'm a, I, my favorite is baseball. And I do enjoy professional baseball. I, uh, we all love the major leagues. Um, but the positions I've enjoyed the most is every opportunity I've had to manage in winter ball. Um, there is a flavor and an aura of baseball there, the society there, the people there, um, the hearts they have for people. And, and they've ingratiated my family and myself into their countries. And uh, it's always, it's probably my favorite. And I usually say that it's my favorite time is, is managing in winter ball. We're going to talk to you a little bit about, you talked about a championship uh, winning there in, uh, in the Santa Domingo in the Dominican league, but also you had a role in the, uh, the world series with the Boston Red Sox in 2004. I'm going to ask you that in a second, but before that, tell us about uh, your family, notably starting with your dad. Well, I grew up in Chicago. My dad was a sports writer for the for 50 years in Chicago, um, most of those years in, with the Chicago Tribune. Um, and he was he was the face of the Big Ten and Midwest football and Midwest basketball in colleges. And then he'd also do some some things on Sunday, like some pro football. And then during the summer at those times, he did the minor sports he did both golf and tennis. And I used to walk the course with Arnie Palmer and Billy Casper and Jack Nicklaus and Chichi Rodriguez like it was nothing. Like it wasn't a big deal. Or I'd I'd warm up Arthur Ashe or or Rod Laver or Chuck McKinley before their match when they were playing tennis. And and it wasn't like a big deal. It was the minor sport. It wasn't like people doing so I've I've been blessed to have that experience. And then also to my dad's TV show was the first nationally televised sports talk show in 1985, Sports Channel America. He was on the show called The Sports Writers. Rick Callender, Bill Gleason, Ben Bentley, and himself used to smoke cigars for an hour and yell and scream at each other. And even to this day, the spoof on Saturday Night Live that talks about Dick and the Bears is a spoof on my dad's show. It was so it's pretty. It was pretty neat. I mean, I joined the uh, Expos and Gary Hughes, the scouting director. Oh, a special man, special, special man. And bless his heart. Today is actually uh, when we're recording this right now, it's actually his birthday. It would be his birthday today. It's mm. his heavenly birthday right now. Um, but he would stop his any scouting meetings he had. He would stop them if my dad's show was on and say, hey, guys, get off. Watch the sports writers. We'll get back. We'll re, re, reconverge and, and, and get back to our meeting an hour from now. So he, he was a special man, my dad. What a, what, a, what a beautiful heart he had. He was a Chicago, um, a Chicago man at heart, a sports writer at heart, and a tremendous family man. Bill Jouse, the Bears. That's it. You're married and have three sons. Tell us about your wife and uh, your kids. Well, I met my wife actually in, in Wilson, North Carolina, when I was Atlanta Christian. And, um, it's, it, it was a, it, out of all the things that helped me career wise, baseball, Atlanta Christian, the friends I've made that I still have there, the most important part of that was, was meeting Billy. Um, she was from Tarboro, North Carolina. She was a nursing student and, uh, we got married in, in 1988 and we have three sons. 
Um, DJ, the oldest, born in 90. Charlie, the middle one, born in 92. And Will, born in 96. DJ right now is a, is a scout, an area scout in the Carolinas for the San Francisco Giants. Charlie is a mental skills coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's based out of Scottsdale. I always say that he had he's 29 years old now, and he had 29 years of seeing how mentally not to do it, so it really <laughs> helped him. And the youngest went to NYU and graduated a couple of years ago. Um, and he, in September, after coaching, being the pitching coach at Limestone College in Gaffney, South Carolina, he has taken a, in September, this past September, he has taken a pitching analytics position um, at Boston College and loving it. He's back up in Boston because we spent a lot of time in Boston. He spent, must have spent uh, 11 of his years in Boston proper. And he's back in Boston, likes that area. And Boston College has been super for him. The, the coaching staff, the head coach there, Mike Gambino, is a special man. The players, the whole situation for him is, 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 is tremendous. He's a really good coach. So um, all three are really good. Three sons following in your footsteps and really three generations in, in the sports world. Yeah, Chicago's written a couple articles on three generations. They interviewed my boys and interviewed me, and it, it's pretty, it, it's really neat. And you mentioned a, a lifer in baseball. It's actually family in baseball, you know, from my dad and and me, and now my three sons, and heck, my wife's a, a lifer also. She has had to raise our sons all the time that I'm away, and she made baseball and dad look really good. And it is really good, but made him look really good and us really good um, because it's not easy when there's so much time I have, I had to spend away and uh, the boys love the game and, and they're really good. And she does. And she's now a, a Christian author. Um, she writes nonfiction. Uh, she's got her second book coming out this year in 22. And uh, she speaks and serves with, with the wives and, and the, the baseball family and community. And then we also serve for Compassion International, do a lot of stuff in the Dominican. And we've done other things in Haiti. And it's special that we feel that our mission field is through baseball wherever we are. And Billy also has a podcast, right? Your wife, Billy, what's the name of her podcast and what's it about? Start Small and Believe Big. It's about her Christian walk and, and impacting and feeding mostly women. But I mean, I, I've read both her books and I, I walk away being impacted. But it's the it's it's serving women in all fields. But from her experiences of raising kids, of raising foster children, what we did of of serving in both in our backyard, like a Mockley or in in Boston or in Baltimore, when at helping up mission to Dominican and Haiti and, and other places we've been in. Our guest is Dave Jouse, the senior advisor for the Washington Nationals uh, player development. And he's on the post game with Paul Golden podcast. It's a faith and sports podcast. So it naturally leads them ask this question, Dave, when did you become a follower of Jesus Christ? I thought I was for a long time in my life. And I, a, a lot of people I've heard of have said this and it, it, it's true. My, my ears were closed growing up in a, in a Christian household and going to a Presbyterian church my whole life. Um, and being a big part of the church, big part of the youth group, but I wasn't a believer. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I, and I say, I look back and say, I don't remember hearing Jesus in church or in my youth group. I did read the Bible. My dad mentioned it, but not enough for me to be open or, or know what was going on. I 
coach at a at a Christian college in, in North Carolina. Well, that college now is called Barton College because Mr. Barton gave a whole lot of money. That's not a, a, a my excuse, but it's just what, what life is and what living in the world or of the world, which one are we going to do? So I, I go off and, and, and have a beautiful wife and three beautiful boys. My career is flying along. And I think that I'm better than the next guy in the, in the clubhouse with me in the locker room with me and know that I don't beat my wife or kids and I don't cheat on them and I don't spend money. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm doing well. And in 99, winning the Caribbean series at the peak of, I mean, you can't ask anything more 10 years into your career as a professional coach. And my wife and I, again, the same reason why I didn't hear Jesus when I was young, I didn't hear her screaming that it wasn't what I was seeing our life to be. Mm. And and we were we separated. We didn't separate out of house, but we separated because it was easy to do because I was going to Dominican and I was going to Fort Myers for spring training and she was taking the kids and doing this. So we separated and it's not where she wanted to be. It's not where I wanted to be. All of a sudden I realized that I had something really missing in my, in my heart, in my, in my life. And it was because I was trying to control everything. I was trying to be good by controlling everything and looking at everybody else and saying, well, I'm better than them. And Billy also went to, we went to a counselor and the counselor told us the two things she told us. And she was an, she was either an atheist or a Jewish counselor. We're not positive who she was, but she said, you got to go back to church and you got to become friends again. And so both of us thought about going back to church. She went back to church real hard, real hard, real strong. An avid churchgoer found a Bible-based non-denominational church in Brighton, Mass. It started going. And sure enough, we started trying to be friends again. I saw what she was doing with the pastor's wife and said, hey, well, what are you doing? This, this is there's something different about you. We need it. I want it. So we both separately got the Lord to enter into our lives, then put him in the middle of our marriage. And by 2004, the year that we were part of the Red Sox to win a World Series, the most important date in 2004 is December 6th, when our whole family got baptized together. Mm. And Outside of seeing our three sons born, that is the fourth most impactful day uh, that I can remember vividly. And more, as much as I like to know that a, a guy's swing and a guy's delivery, those four days are implanted in, in my heart and mind. And that's when our, our, my true walk and um, started knowing that I had a relationship with him. And he was my Lord and Savior. Oh, amen. That's so encouraging to hear. And oftentimes God uses hardship and even like a separation, kind of you're both going your separate ways to really bring him to yourself. And then as a result, bring your marriage back together. So that's that's such a great encouragement. You mentioned the Red Sox uh, just recently. David Ortiz, uh, the famous uh, Boston Red Sox player, was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And you had a role in that to some degree. Tell us about your David Ortiz Big poppy connection. David is a really close friend. Um, he 
ended up playing for me in that Caribbean series in 99. He was playing against me during the regular season and we beat him in the finals. He was playing first and for was playing second. Rafi for who I was, he was a shortstop when I was coaching with the Dodgers for two years also. And in, in the mid two thousands, is this with Lise or Estrella? He was with Escajito, both for and Ortiz. While I was with Lise, we beat them in the finals and you're able to go to the Caribbean series. You're able to take a couple players from, the rest of the league. So I took David. I didn't take for I took a couple other guys, but we had, we had a really good team. We had Adrian Beltre, Christian Guzman, Nephi Perez, D'Angelo Jimenez, Ronnie Belliard. That's an all-star team. You know, Oh, it's unbelievable. But we were playing against an all-star team too. It had Cordero and Ruben Sierra and, 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 and they were really good too. But David played against us all season and then played for me in 99. We win the Caribbean series, win the championship. He drove in the run in the in extra innings to win it. And the bus is being rocked. We're in Puerto Rico, yet there are so many Dominican fans there. They're rocking the bus. We can't even drive through the highway. And he comes and sits in the seat, my manager seat with Billy on my lap. She was still, she was talking to me that day because we had won the series <laughs> um, at that time. But um, David sat next to to me and put his big hand paw on my head and said, Hey, Chelsea, you're the best. I'll always remember you. And sure enough, you know, two years later, he's been let go by the twins. And he and I, again, he's playing against my team because I'm managing, let's say, and he's playing first base for, for Escajito. He says, I want to, I want to join the Red Sox. And so I, I made, I did a lot of things to make sure that, that he was able to be signed by the, by the Red Sox because they had had, They'd already signed Jeremy Giambi to be a, a DH. They'd already signed Kevin Millar to be first base. There wasn't a real big opening for David. I, I did believe David had just what the Red Sox needed, and the Fenway Park was perfect for his swing. And he had done so many really good things in the Dominican and getting off the turf. A lot of people blame Minnesota. Minnesota was never going to get him the way he needs to be because being on that turf, his knees weren't going to take it. And being platooned, he had to hit off lefties, which was really good. And so he, he and I have become, uh, stayed really close. And it's it's such a blessing to see people like David and Pedro in uh, you know joining the hall, guys I've been with, Larry Walker, you know, Greg Maddox. I mean, it's unbelievable that that I've been blessed to be able to spend a little bit of time in a clubhouse and be a small, small part of of them uh, achieving those things. As a Yankee fan, I vividly remember the 2004 World Series. And really, David Ortiz is the one that turned that series and won that championship, you know, since 1918. That was an incredible series. So Boston knows you. Uh, you should get free dinners for life in, uh, in Beantown. In Beantown, if you have that that World Series ring, and I don't I don't wear it anymore because I don't live in Boston anymore. But for about three years after that, I wore it in Boston. And yes, I always was bumped up. It wasn't always a free dinner, but it was always bumped up in line. And and I'm at no one ever looked what saw what my face looked like. They'd go right down to the ring and ask ask me to tell a story, and I'd tell them they would have no idea who I was, but they knew what my ring looked like on their finger. Uh, the perks of winning. Fast forward, you've been with a lot of teams, bench coaches, and then most recently you were at the New York Mets. You were the bench coach uh, last season, the 2021 season, and uh, your claim to fame last year, if anyone, anyone remembers the uh, the famous home run derby, uh, part of the All-Star weekend up in, uh, I think it was in Denver uh, in July of 2021, you and uh, Peter Alonzo had quite a night. He was hitting what you were throwing out. How incredible was that? It really was. And, and uh, I've had, 
again, as, as you asked me about coaching, the place I like to manage and, and be at most is, is the Dominican. That experience with my entire family there, all three boys, my wife, two of the girlfriends were there in Denver. We hadn't been together as a group since 2019 before the middle of, you know, before the All-Star game in Denver. And so all those things combined made that day so special. And then the Alonzo family, Haley, his, at that time, fiance, who's his wife now, her family, um, the agents from the Alonzo, they really treated my family really good. And Pete treated me good. And it was such a great experience um, to be a part of that and to see Pete do what he does. Because again, uh, I've thrown a whole lot of pitches in my life. I, I say that the reason I stayed in the game of baseball is not because of my brain or my, uh, you know, my wit or anything like this is because of my arm, because I really control BP and in, in, in 87 or 88 first big league spring training, I was going to Buck Rogers had me throw to the first group and guys like, I think it was Hubie Brooks and Tim Raines and, and, and maybe Tim Wallach. I don't know who, whoever it was that hit off me. They said, Hey Buck, don't let this guy go down to Meyer Lake camp, keep him in the big leagues to throw BP during spring training the whole time. So I never left spring training the rest of the time. And I'm still throwing, I, I'm still in uniform this year for the Washington nationals as a senior advisor. And my wife says I'm there just because I can throw some BP to, to Josh Bell or, or whoever needs it, you know? And, uh, but um, so to throw BP, I throw it to a whole lot of guys. None of the guys have, have headed out like, like Pete. Cause I did throw a 99 to Nomar and he hit the first one out and didn't hit another one out. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to do that with Pete. Pete has, as, as, uh, has kept me as a good part of his family. We actually got to go to the wedding to his and Haley's wedding in, in uh, November in Tampa. And, and that was a blast and uh, a lot more notoriety because of that for, for three days. And then I moved back and I, I don't like notoriety. So, those three days was really good to have notoriety, but no more. Well, that was a phenomenal night. Like I said, incredible night. Remember that vividly. A lot of our listeners are Yankee fans and Phillies fans. Just tell us briefly, what did you do uh, with the Phillies and most recently with the Yankees? Well, I did. I wasn't with the Phillies. I was only with the Yankees. Um, and with the Yankees, I was up the, the year after um, I left. The, the year I left the Pirates um, was 2019. Clint Hurdle, Frank Coonley, and Neil Huntington all, all got let go within about a four-week period. So the Pirates were through a whole lot of rebuild. They had a, a job for me. They didn't have a position. And little by little, as December came about, they didn't show a whole lot of interest in giving me a position. They were going to just offer me a job. And I hate to say just because I want a job, but I, I felt like that there was some some problems with I was kind of forcing it. And so actually I was at PAO, Professional Athletes Outreach, which is a, um, a, a really good experience that you and I have, have, have experienced together. Um, Christian couples and then some of the Christian baseball couples, some singles, both big leagues and, and minor leagues, the chaplains from Baseball Chapel, um, some of the chaplains and some ex um, players, um, they get together and they have four or five days and it's a conference. It's a, it's a retreat to, um, to, to search out where you are walking in your faith um, and how to honor and glorify our kingdom. And so I was at that conference and, and 
I said, gee, I better call somebody. And sure enough, I called. And one of the people I called was Tim Nering and Dan Geis with the Yankees. And like a, 10 days later, they interviewed me and offered me a, a pro scouting position, which was during COVID time. So I started in spring training. Then they took us off the road and I virtually scouted the whole year from my house right here. This is how I can use Zoom. I'm not technologically inclined, but because of doing Zoom and all these meetings from, from my house here in Naples, um, I was able to scout for the Yankees, which was a great experience. The Yankees probably trained me in one year more than I got in a lot of stuff with analytics and technology that I had gotten like the previous 10 years. And I think it allowed me to be a lot better as a bench coach for Louis last year in New York for the Mets. You mentioned some good brothers in Christ, Dan Geis with the Yankees and also Clint Hurdle, uh, yeah. another follower of Christ. You mentioned analytics. I know there's like old school coaching and then analytics. And it seems my take is it seems like we, the pendulum has swung maybe a few years ago, all the way into analytics. And now it's maybe, is it kind of coming back to a more balanced approach of analytics plus what you see on the field? It's a general term because people said Billy Bean Moneyball was invented by Billy Bean and he's really good. Tremendous GM. But guess what? Earl Weaver talked about two walks and a home run and, and, and the guy in between there striking out rather than hitting a ground ball double play. He would yell at Kiko Garcia for hitting a ground ball. He said, why don't you swing and miss so that <laughs> Bumbry and Blair can walk and Frank, Frank Robinson can hit a three-run homer. So he invented that. And the way I got into the game professionally as a guy that never played, because back in the 80s, rarely would somebody get in the game that didn't play, was I did no numbers at that time. Now, it wasn't the numbers that we see now. It wasn't the in-depth ability to really break things down. But my numbers were how to re read a stat sheet, you know, and, and a lot of the veteran coaches and managers didn't even know how to read a stat sheet at that time because they were so good at watching the game and seeing what and predicting what was going to happen. Well, I, I could read a stat sheet and see that, that, that the walk to strikeout ratio was so important, that the extra bases were so important. And so certain guys were really good in these roles or they were going to be good or the ground ball double play was going to be so effective for this type of pitcher um, because he threw a lot of strikes and he still put guys on, on base, but they were always on first because they didn't hit extra base hits. So it's always been there. And, and if you're not ready to grow on either end, either being a so-called traditional guy or so-called analytic guy, then you're not going to stay in this game too long because it is a mixture of everything because there isn't all truth in tradition and there isn't all truth in, in non-tradition um, in modern. So I think I, I stay that way and I've learned a lot from my sons. I'm confident they learned a lot from me. And then the bottom line is still, it's all about relationships because the best part of this game is I've dropped maybe 15 names today and about 10,500 away from what I want to drop because of all the people that have mentored me and impacted me. And hopefully I've impacted them. It's certainly an analogy. You think about a spiritual correlation. It's all about relationships. We should always be growing in our daily walk. You don't just read the Bible once and you're good. It's it's a you got you got to be a lifelong learner, whether it's baseball or our own spiritual journey. It's really good, and it's it, it also comes back that sometimes the biggest obstacle to Christianity is Christian mm. when, when they're not relationship oriented first. When they're taking that Bible that they read and and making it their perspective, or they're beating somebody over the head. 
because that's that's not what it is. It's about loving. Christ loved everyone. The Lord loves everyone. And and if we don't if we don't love, then we're not Christians. And guess what? As a coach, if you don't love, you're not a good coach. As a parent, if you don't love, you're not a good parent. As a husband, as a spouse, you don't love, you're not a good spouse or husband. And that's I know those are simple terms and it sounds it sounds simple, but it is simple. It's not simple to do, but it is simple. Right. Easier said than done, but good, good truths. Just one final question before we wrap things up. You're currently the senior advisor for player development with the Nationals. What what exactly, pardon my ignorance, but what exactly does that mean and what does that look like? I'm going to drop one more name then before we leave. One of the, the most beautiful men that I've, I've been with, another strong Christian man, Grady Little. We were able to hire him in Pittsburgh when I was with Pittsburgh after he took about six years leave after the Dodgers. He got a little bit um, frustrated with things and he had left. Well, we got him back in and we hired him as a senior advisor for the development. And he goes, only in crazy way, he goes, all of a sudden 65 and I'm a senior. That's the only thing is you got that age, you got that title. So, <laughs> um, but the position I have, and, and there are a lot of senior titles these days and, and it is a role. The responsibilities change on what the organization needs, what your superiors need, um, what your players need. I am going to do stuff both in the big leagues and the minor leagues to help Davey and uh, Davey Martinez and Bogar out, to help Mike Rizzo and Shalaba out, and then Dijon and his staff in the minor leagues. I'm going to probably give be a resource for a lot of the young managers. We have three young managers at the A-ball levels and the Gulf Coast League level. And then I've started my relationship with them. I don't know any of them from previously. And so it's really neat. I, I know a lot of people in that organization previously. And then whatever they need, I think I bring a pretty big tool belt and I work. So that's what I'm planning to do and be fluid and, and, and develop each day and let the young managers train me too, because there's things that they're going to see that I'm going to be better for being with them that during that day too. Well, I'm sure they're going to be blessed by both the coaches and the players by your your wealth of knowledge and your baseball experience as a lifer. But it's, it's encouraging for us and for the listeners that here you are, a, a Christian, uh, living out his faith and leveraging his faith and his positions to influence uh, men and women for Christ. So any, any final comments, uh, Dave? I really appreciate you having me on this. And whoever hears this, um, realize that that there are a lot of opportunities for you to impact people. And mine and my wife have found out that baseball is our mission field, but your mission field can be anywhere from, from Dominican and Venezuela or your backyard and definitely your household. So thank you, Paul, for having me. It's been a blessing. Uh, thank you, Dave Jouse, uh, for joining us on the post game. We trust you were encouraged by this conversation with baseball lifer Dave Joss. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd ask that you subscribe to the Post Game with Paul Golden podcast. This way you'll never miss an upcoming episode. Forward this podcast to that sports fan you know and tell others about this unique sports and faith podcast. I'm Tim Donnelly. Thanks so much for joining us for Post Game with Paul Golden.